everyone to another episode of my weird little podcast. Yay! Yay! And today our hosts are Teresa and Patrick. Yay! Yay! And I will be sitting here sipping my coffee and water and listening. <laughs> um, Yes. Today we are talking about time travel and life after death, right? Yes. Which mm-hmm. are not related in any way. So I will come up with a good <laughs> title for this episode somehow. Uh, life after death. We will think death. of something. We'll say something clever and it will dawn on us that it will be brilliant. And that will be the title <laughs> of this episode. Yes. So um, the, one, yeah. the one with the one with the brilliant title <laughs> is what we should call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um no, yeah. we'll think of something good. <laughs> uh so I don't know who wants to go first. Um uh, it's up to you guys. Uh, well, who let's story sl- let's slip a coin. Happens chron. Well, I guess Pat's is time travel, so I guess there is no when this. <laughs> Choose your um, own time. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Pat should go have... first. I don't know why, but if that's well, okay. Well, mine is death, so it's kind of final. But yeah. we'll see well, then, that there it's you not. So, it... You know what I mean? Ooh. All right. Yeah. Zen again, cool. maybe right. it's two part episode. about that later. um so yeah i'm gonna jump into some time travel um and the thing that kind of got me yeah ooh, spooky time travel i guess Uh, (laughs) but the thing that got me into it can be spooky that's true i mean i mean like when you think of like i don't know like what's what's your favorite like time travel movies like what what's what both of you guys? What's what's your favorite time travel movie? Um, Back to the Future. Well, that was going to be mine too, of course. Uh, part, I mean, wait, which 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 one though? Oh, I mean, number one <laughs> for me. I mean, uh, all time favorite. Three. Yeah, I like all I like of the, them, but number number one's the classic one. Oh yeah, three is my anyway, favorite. I like western stuff. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. You know, I do like the second one a little bit, though, just to see, yeah, like, me on that. I don't know. Every other time travel movie I've ever seen is, like, super sad. You know, I'm thinking of, like, the show As Time Goes By when, oh, like, yeah. or, like, uh, oh, God, what was that one that we were watching with a lady went back into, like, medieval times and it was just just so she could have sex with people like a whole bunch. What was it called? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, what was Outlander. It um, Outlander. Outlander. Yeah, yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. It was so bad. I had not heard of it. I know people are listening are gonna fight me on that too because. Honestly, that was like I haven't really watched it, but I, I do I remember you were watching it, and that's all I remembered. Was me being yeah. very angry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's the other one like like everything it's like a super sad where they have to travel yeah. through time because they can never really actually be together you know and it just right. gets super depressing 
or you know, save right? them like, from that plane crash that they were, you know, going to yes. inevitably die from. Like mm-hmm. my um, right, like the HG Wells, uh, the time machine, like and everything you do, it has the same outcome. So yeah. you can't really change anything in that sense. And also, um, oh shoot, was the other one? I just lost it. Oh, the butterfly effect. Butterfly I mean, that's effect. kind of like time travel, isn't it? Oh, that's totally. another really super depressing one. Dark, very dark. Totally, yeah. But I really like that movie. For, yeah. But back real quick for the comedic time travel, I would say for me, a, a second one after Back to the Future is uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So, nice. Yeah. Hot yeah. tub time machine. Yes, hot tub oh, yeah. time machine. Another yeah. funny comedic one. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, those are some good ones too. <laughs> so yeah, like I mean, there's been there's obvious reasons why everybody's into time travel. You know, for the one reason we just spoke of is because of these reasons. They're they're so depressing. Is changing the past. You know, to you know make the future different or whatever, or save the planet yeah. or you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But for me, um, you know, it was definitely when I was younger, I got into, I was like the first person to discover or to make, make the internet work. So I was like, when my parents, like when we first got dial up, my parents had no idea how to fucking use a computer. So I was the one that like got it to work, you know? And like, I came across John Titter and I don't, I don't remember how I came across this guy. I really don't, but it was like um, early 2000s. Um, and then, I'm, so this must have been like maybe a few years after I had the computer set up and everything, but he was this supposed time traveler and he has his own website, johntinder.com, which I got my information from johntinder.com, mm-hmm. <laughs> as well as livescience.com, as well as Thrillist and freepatentsonline.com, and of course, Wikipedia, Google, etc., etc. Free patents? Uh, oh, yeah. Like- because um, uh, I'll kind of get to that because basically because uh, John Titter, the reason it was so interesting is because he had this whole story of, um, you know, why he was why he came back in time to to our time was to pick up this um, uh, computer, which like I'll kind of I'll kind of get into. But um, basically, he has links to some of these like to some of the things that makes the time travel device work. And one of them mm. is, was a link to an actual patent that a, a, an aerospace company owns. Now if the machine isn't developed yet or isn't released to the public yet, but the patent for this design of this actual machine exists and someone owns this patent. So you can actually look up patents online and find the exact patent, you know, that just out of, um, Freedom of Information Act. Um, so that's what made the whole thing compelling. Also, I'm like fucking, you know, in high school at this point, you know. So like, <laughs> like I'm not exactly the most learned person, or whatever. So like, who who knows, you know, about a, a lot of this stuff. So that's why I went to re- revisit it because nowadays the website still exists, but a lot of these links no longer work. But some of them do. So I, in one of them was on that free patents online site. So. Um, I don't know. That was a long explanation for that, but, but, um, so the story of John Titter, um, I'll just, I, this is directly from the website. So this is just to kind of catch you up on 
who John Titter is, and this is like a brief explanation. Um, although there is debate over the exact date it started, on November 2nd, 2000, a person calling themselves Time Travel Zero and later John Titter started posting on a public forum that he was a time traveler from the year 2036. One of the first things he did was post pictures of his time machine and its operations manual. As the weeks went by, more and more people began questioning him about why he was here, the physics of time travel, and his thoughts about our time. He also posted on other forums, including the now non-existent Art Bell site. In his posts, John Titter entertained, angered, frightened, and even belittled those who engaged him in conversation. And you guys probably know Art Bell from uh, Coast to Coast. Coast to Coast, yeah. Um, big conspiracy um, radio station, which a lot of people definitely grew up on, the, especially with UFOs and stuff. Who's the guy, the UFO guy who calls Art Bell, too? Uh, uh, Bob Lazar. Lazar. Yeah. 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 Like, there's, yeah, there's a lot of conspiracies that start with Art Bell because he's like a person, you know, that accepts these things. You know, there's a lot of, there's also a lot of speculation as to whether or not he's a part of. Um, manipulating these conspiracies, you know, which I'll get into later. But interesting. Um, so on March 21st, 2001, John Titter told us he would be leaving our uh, timeline and returning to 2036. After that, he was never heard from again. Speculation and investigation about who John Titter was and why he was online continues to this day. Although it may be easy to dismiss all this as science fiction, most people who read his posts agree that there is something very haunting about John Titter and what he said. In addition, and open to more debate, he also made a series of predictions and comments that eerily seem to be coming true. Unfortunately, I never spoke to, directly to John Titter, but there are many of those, uh, many out there who have and continue to wonder about their experience. As you get deeper and deeper into the story, you will find his posts, links to other sites about him, downloads and speculative information attributed him after he left. I have taken the post and organized them by date and subject. My editorial work is copyrighted by the unedited posts and the people who experience it are in the public domain and can be found on the other sites listed inside. Um, and it even gives you the disclaimer. As you read, please try to keep two things in mind. One, John appeared to answer nearly every question that was asked of him over the four-month period he was online. Because of that, many people neglected to read the, the previous posts and asked similar or exact questions he had already answered. It may offer a glimpse of what a time traveler goes through when having the same conversation again and again. These posts were written before 9-11, the Discovery Accident, and the Second Gulf War. Many people believe John may have known these events, known of these events and dropped clues without actually referring to them. It's also widely agreed that he made several predictions about future physics discoveries uh, that have materialized as he stated. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, this whole website, if you guys ever want to check it out out of curiosity, it's, it's a lot of fun to look through because he really does have, they go through, like he said, like he's edited, organized all of his posts into, uh, like chronologically because they're from a few different sites, you know, that he's posting on. And these people are asking him a lot of questions and you could, you can imagine, you know, there's obviously trolls out there that are like, well, prove this, prove this. And, and he he talked about it kind of interestingly because he was saying things like um, he was saying like uh, like, you know, a person that's a time traveler that time travels, you know, where time traveling is already a thing and has been established as a thing. You know, that person doesn't necessarily know how a time travel device works, you know, the same way a pilot isn't an aerospace engineer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that actually makes a lot of sense, you know, because. 
I can drive a car. I don't, I could really not tell you how it works. I could definitely, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> but, yeah. but if I um, drove my car into a village that has never seen a car before, you know, and they were like, who the fuck are you? You know, what is, what is this? Where did this come from? You know, like that, it'd be kind of the same equivalent, I guess, yeah. you know, that's a kind of a horrible analogy, but. Um, oh, no. <laughs> well, that's good. So Power. like, so like the, I went, like I told you, I went through a lot of the links. A lot of them don't exist anymore because, you know, you do have to pay to host things on a website if it's not like your image or account or something or what, you know what I mean? Like, or your Facebook, I guess, but this was 2000. So. Right. No, those, some no of the, widely circulated Facebook. Right? Exactly. And most of the sites that these were posted on don't even exist anymore. However, some of them do, do did exist, and I thought they were interesting enough to mention. Um, so, the one of the questions that he asked was asked was, uh, "Can you explain what the purpose of time travel is on your world line?" And he answered with, "In 2036, a great deal of effort is going into repairing our environment. I was sent to 1975 to get a computer system and take it back to 2036. Time travel is not a secret in 2036, and I expect it will become more common." That was another thing. Um, they asked him also, why did you go to 1975? And he said the first leg of his trip was from 2036 to 1975. Um, he was sent to get an IBM computer system called the 5100. It was one of the first portable computers made, and it has the ability to read the older IBM programming la languages in addition to APL and BASIC. We needed the system to debug various legacy computer programs in 2036. Uh, Unix has a problem in 2038. So this was interesting to me because um, recently when the pandemic hit and a lot of people were starting to go through um, having to get their uh, unemployment, you know, right. the unemployment office was completely overwhelmed and they ended up having to make a system in order to accept all these applications and be able to disperse the money. But the system they were using was so old that they were having to find Linux engineers and shit to try it that had worked on the system like 40 years ago, like or 50 years ago when it was created in order to make it work better, you know, because this was a huge issue. These people were getting paid boatloads because there's like two or three people in, in the United States that knew how to do it. And that that's that that like made me think like that kind of makes a lot of sense you know like if you didn't have an actual device that would be able to help you debug something if you owned a time machine then yeah take the time machine back to grab it you know whatever but also i'm also connecting dots that you know exist in my head you know a little bit more than other you know maybe that doesn't really make perfect sense um what was another one? Oh yeah so they also asked him about um um or was it, sorry, the radiation, like, because there, there would be, um, there'd be no way that he could go, go through it because of Stephen Hawking's, um, um, it, they, it was actually called Hawking's radiation. It was basically saying that there, there's no way, the radiation would affect you so heavily if you were to travel through time um, that your particles would like explode. Um, and this was something that, that the people on these message boards would constantly tell him it's like a no what about hawking's radiation there's no way that could happen because he would explode this whole thing um a year later stephen hawking's made a statement saying that he was wrong and that it is possible 
um, that the singularity doesn't explode on you and that you could potentially travel through a wormhole. So that's another weird thing. You know, this person was vehemently like, no, it's possible because of this, you know, saying that the Hawking's radiation didn't exist in his time because Mm -hmm. it didn't exist because they eventually disproved it um, because they were able to figure it out. Um, so to kind of go through what time machine or time machine, what time travel is, um, most of time travel is mostly supported by time bending, which would be the theory of special relativity presented by Albert Einstein himself. Um, proposing that time is an illusion that moves relative to an observer. So an observer traveling near the speed of light will experience time with all of its after effects much more slowly than the observer at rest, uh, which is why astronaut Scott Kelly aged ever so slightly less over the course of a year in orbit uh, rather than his twin brother who stayed on Earth. I don't know if you guys, do you guys remember that happening when NASA did that? Not really, but that is an amazing fact. Yeah, yeah, because uh, just because of the distance, you know, that they're traveling, you know, in a distance, uh, um, you know, the, the relative distance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Einstein developed this theory of uh, special relativity relativity in 1905, along with his later expansion, the theory of general relativity. It has become one of the foundational tenets of modern physics. Special relativity describes the relationship between space and time for objects moving at constant speeds in a straight line. Um, the short version of the theory is, uh, First, all things are measured in relation to something else. That is to say, there is no absolute frame of reference. Second, the speed of light is constant. It stays the same no matter what and no matter where it's measured from. And third, nothing can go faster than the speed of light. From those simple tenets unfolds actual real-life time travel. An observer traveling at high velocity will experience time at a slower rate than an observer who isn't speeding through space. Um, So... Yeah, so that's why why Scott Kelly, um, I, what did they say? Astronaut Scott Kelly was born after his twin brother and fellow astronaut Mark Kelly. Scott Kelly spent 520 days in orbit while Mark logged 54 days in space. The difference in the speed at which they experienced time over the course of their lifetimes has actually widened the age gap between the two men. So whereas Scott used to be six minutes older, now he's six minutes and five milliseconds older. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> which is like obviously not you know um, yeah it's not that big of a deal but it does prove that time is relative to the viewer or you know to yeah you, you know so whether or not that could be t- can technically labeled as time travel is you know up to the you know i right. guess it's still nothing that can be completely proven yeah mm-hmm. um, That's true. so then there's time <laughs> donuts um uh, theoretical confused with donut time i know but now i want donuts <laughs> yeah Dang it. donut time is a place where uh sex workers hang out in hollywood so oh wait <laughs> Well, she went one way, I went another. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I didn't even, I totally forgot about that. But you're right. Yes, yes you're right. Is it yeah. really? Oh, On my God. On Highland in Santa Monica. 
No, I think it's Trejo Donuts now, but it used to be. Oh, wait, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Now now we can put this on Hollywood's Haunted, I guess. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So theoretical physicist Amos Ori uh, proposed a model for a time machine made of curved space-time, a donut-shaped vacuum surrounded by a sphere of normal matter. The machine is space-time itself. If we were to create an area with a warp like this in space, that would enable timelines to close on themselves. It might enable future generations to return to visit our time. There's also the infinite cylinder theory. Astronomer Frank Tipler proposed a mechanism where one could take matter that is 10 times the sun's mass, then roll it into a very long but very dense cylinder. Um, the Anderson Institute, a time travel research organization, described the cylinder as a black hole that has passed through a spaghetti factory. After spinning this black hole spaghetti a few billion revolutions per minute, a spaceship nearby, following a very precise spiral around the cylinder, could travel backwards in time on a closed time-like curve, according to the Anderson Institute. The major problem is that in order for the Tipler cylinder to become reality, the cylinder would need to be infinitely long or be made of such unknown kind of matter. At least for the foreseeable future, endless interstellar pasta is beyond our reach. Um, Aww. <laughs> I know. Like, right? Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I want pasta. I mean, geez. <laughs> there's a lot of food mentions here. I would like and I just infinite eat. pasta, please. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds great! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the salad and, and breadsticks, it's just breadsticks. Yeah, yeah. endless. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. We're paying attention. Um, I swear. No, yeah. I, it's, no, it's, everybody is hungry. I get it. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm always hungry. Um, the there's also just thinking of it as a parallel universe. Uh, the simplest and most popular would be the cosmological model, uh, which today predicts that you have a twin in the galaxy about 10 to the 10 to the 28th uh, root meters from here. This distance is so large that it's beyond astronomical, but that does not make your doppelganger any less real. The estimate is derived from elementary probability and does not even assume speculative modern physics, merely that space is infinite in size and almost uniformly filled with matter. As, observ- as observations indicate, in infinite space, even the most unlikely events must take place somewhere. There are infinitely many other inhabited planets, including not just one, but infinitely many that have people with the same appearance, name, and memories as you, who play out every possible permutation of your life choices. You will probably never see your other selves. <laughs> That's how it ends. That's how it ends. Yep, yep. You'll probably never see your other selves, so, 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 so don't look. They're probably not right behind you. <laughs> this is just really new information about the doppelganger. Right, yeah, exactly. Wow, okay. Uh, so this one was pretty interesting. Um, the this, this person admits that they're, you know, um, or John Titter admitted, you know, that he was not, you know, a a time travel engineer or anything, you know, which doesn't really help the case, you know? Um, But that's what a lot of people say when they comment on this. Um, But then this, um, in the same article that I was uh, reading, they talked about how 
basically the the way GPS works nowadays is the same is the same thing. Like the the satellites going around the planet have to have to actually adjust their time. Um, some like point eleven um, millionths of a second uh, every year just to adjust to our actual rotation on the Earth. Yeah. So it's it's definitely happening happening uh, everywhere. Um, then I and the last one I wanted to talk about was uh, there was um, a lot of people that picked up patents and stuff. The one that I thought was interesting was. Um, the Air Force, uh, this was an article on USA Today, and this was in um, 2001. The Air Force report calls for $7.5 million to study psychic teleportation. Um, Star Trek fans may be happy to hear that Air Force has paid to study psychic teleportation, but scientists aren't so thrilled. The Air Force Research Lab's August teleportation physics report posted earlier this week on the Federation of American Scientists website struck a raw nerve with physicists and critics of wasteful military spending. In the report, author Eric Davis says psychic teleportation, moving yourself from location to location through mind powers, is quite real and can be controlled. The 88-page report also reviews a range of teleportation concepts and experiments, one being quantum teleportation, a technique demonstrated in the last decade that shifts the characteristics but not the location of subatomic particles at great distances, which is actually something that has uh, been done recently um, with extremely small amounts of matter. Uh, wormholes, which are a highly theoretical uh, possibility because uh, the intense gravitational field near black holes could rip open entrances to distant uh, local uh, planets or system, star systems. Uh, and then psychokine psychokinesis or psychic teleportation and sort of supported the idea that reports um sorry that soviet and chinese studies of psychics and u.s military studies of spoon bending phenomena <laughs> um so there's a lot of people that thought that um because maybe because this got out people were saying that the government was saying that there was this whole they're just doing that so they can get money for other projects or for black um it's not the word that's the word that uh, off the book projects, you know. So you could say, "Oh, we're doing it because we're researching tele quantum teleportation," you know. And some of these scientists are like, "No, it doesn't work," and that's they're just trying to get money so they can, you know, put a pocket in or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other people that are like, "No, maybe this stuff wasn't supposed to get out," and they're just trying to cover their ass. Um, but they did invest uh, twenty point five millions for one or for one contract, and then yeah, seven point five just for conducting psychic teleportation experiments. But if you've seen like uh, uh, when men stare at goats or whatever, I can't—is that what it was called? Like that's a yeah. true story. Like they really did invest in people trying to do astral traveling in order to figure out, you know, you know what's going on across the world, you know, for the military. Really? Oh, um, sure. yeah. So that's, that's happened that, you know, so like the military definitely will invest, invest in stuff like this. But like you, like I said, you can look up these patents and stuff and you can find out a lot of things that like, um, people have patents for and they might not exist yet, or they might just not be public yet. Um, but it's also a popular thing for companies to do is to patent things that don't exist just in case, you know, somebody eventually figures out the technology. 
they already are, you know, a leap ahead of that or whatever, you know, but I think that also is a huge cover up because um, I remember being a kid, my, my, my dad worked for Honeywell and, you know, we, we saw some weird things when I was a kid and I was like, oh, okay, this doesn't exist yet. Like, but there's a drawing of it right there. <laughs> there's for some reason there's a design of it that exists, you know, like, so it seems weird that you would invest in purchasing a patent for something that you don't have the capability to create. You know, that seems kind of pointless, but also, I don't know, car companies patent names, yeah. you know, yeah. in case they want to release the Integra or whatever. So yeah. it's all about and money. I it guess, has to start out to as a drawing, you know, or an idea before right, yeah. you can build it, you know. Right. Um, yeah, if you, if you ever um, yeah, go on the website, John Titter, check out some of the pictures. Some of them are pretty interesting. The, the picture of his time machine is a little, it's a little weird because they're like super blurry and you can't yeah. really tell what the hell it is. It looks like, did you ever see Idiocracy, you guys? Yes. yes. You, you know, You know the little like device that he gets put in stasis for or whatever? Like, it oh, looks, yeah. It looks like um, that. Like, that's exactly what it looks like. Wow. Um, and this was in 2000. But, like, the pictures back then, like, when you uploaded an image in, in the year 2000, it, it did not look good. You know, like, even if it was, like, a crisp image, we wouldn't have known. Oh, okay. Wow. And then he had, like, a diagram of, like, how, or, the you know, the logo of the company that he worked for, which looked like some type of Star Trek type of logo, you know? Like, like he's, like, it's, I don't know, it's it's like three prongs and then like, it looks like a little like NASA, like spaceship kind of thing flying. Oh, okay. It looks kind yeah. of legit, you know, but, but like, that's the whole purpose of it. But like I said, there's also like a lot of people that think there's no possible way um, this could happen. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting was that um, for if, if, um, so when, what did he say? Although many people are fascinated by the idea of changing the past or seeing the future, it's due uh, before it's due. No person has ever demonstrated the kind of back and forth time travel seen in science fiction or proposed a method of sending a person through significant periods of time that wouldn't destroy them on the way. And as physicist Stephen Hawking pointed out in his book, Black Holes and Baby Universes, the best evidence we have that time travel is not possible is, and never will be, is that we have not been invaded by hordes of tourists from the future. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if, 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 <laughs> if time true. travel was possible or ever became commercially possible, we would have been visited by time travelers by now. Or, or it would be, yeah, we would yeah. just be invaded by people, you know, but maybe there Good is a point. regulation on it, you know, or something or... Or, or maybe, maybe we have, you know, we just don't know. Right, yeah. You know. And, like, they probably wouldn't want to come back to the past two years specifically, but. That's, that's true, too, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe they would. I don't know. That's a good question. There's, but, been, yeah. there's been another couple of, like, not ones that are as popular as John Tinder, but a couple other ones that have popped out that have said, like, you know, they, they re the reason they, you know, stayed is because, the, you know, the, the future is grim and, and you know they they don't want to work for the company that sent them back or something you know or they got stuck in this timeline yeah. uh but the whole the whole john titter thing was so well orchestrated if it is a hoax um because he he, he eventually left 
you know, and went out with, uh, I'm, I'm leaving, you know, okay. um, what, what did he say? What was the, um, my parting though revolves around something, um, JC has been harping on since day one and JC, I believe was the person that was interacting with him on this forum. No, I do not have a secret agenda, but I have been paying a great deal of attention to your world line. My interaction with you is not a direct mission parameter, but it was a secondary mission protocol based on standing orders given to all temporary temporal drivers, which is what the time machine travelers were called, temporal drivers. That secondary objective is basically to gather as much information about a world line based on a set of observable variables when we first arrived. Your world line met those conditions. What amazes me is why no one here wonders why Y2K didn't hit them at all. Bring a gas can with you when the car dies on the side of the road. Farewell. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, like, isn't that crazy? Like, and the whole Y2K thing tripped me out too because that was like a real serious issue. Like, do you guys remember that? Like, I remember people I freaking yeah. the fuck out about that. I and remember that, and it, it fervently, yes. And it does seem like, you know, like the way it's just, discussed it did seem like oh yeah maybe that would make a computer go bad you go wrong and then it brings you back to the whole john titter thinking of you know going back to 1975 to fix you know to grab a computer to fix a computer in 2036 you know maybe, maybe somebody did that for y2k you know or mm -hmm. maybe he's just using it because that's a because he came out in the 2000s you know right right it, it just seemed right who could say <laughs> Yeah, one of the rumors is that he worked for some IT company and that he was uh, because some of the stuff that he was talking about and some of these manuals, people were saying that there's only like one of 10 people in the world that would know how these things are designed. Um, and then they but then they kind of thought about it like maybe it was one of these people who just, you know, thought it would be funny, you know, and just created this whole thing, which it could easily be. You know, it could definitely be a big hoax, but nothing's really been proven or disproven. You know, at this mm. point, just a lot of things that have come true and haven't come true, you know, because he did speak about a uh, civil war that was supposed to happen in 2005, uh, which never happened. Um, but timelines could be different or, you know, other excuses. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, John Tudor and time travel. I could definitely go way crazier on the whole time travel thing. But yeah, that, that would be a huge Wait, episode. What's his What's his last name, though? Uh, T-I-T-O-R. T-I-T-O-R. Okay. So, so it's I'm just John like, this whole time Titter. I'm thinking, is it John, John Tinder? John Tinder. John Tinder. Okay. John Tinder. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> John Tinder. No, I just was trying. Episode. I don't know. You know how sometimes you need to um, have the word so you can, like, I don't know. No, no, I get you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, check out the website johntitter.com. It's it's okay. uh, pretty interesting. I got a lot of my information obviously from that. Um, yeah. But like, and the the other thing is too is like, you can also buy like John Titter shirts and shit like that. So like, really, wow. somebody's somebody is making a little bit of you know pocket change, I guess, off of this, you know. But it doesn't. I don't know how successful that is. So I, I don't want to say it's because. Because it does cost money to keep a website up, you know? Yeah. And this isn't John yeah. Titter putting up the website. This is someone putting up the website so people can remember that this happened. You know, so in that sense, you could you could support it or whatever. But 
Yeah, but yeah, that's a story of John Titter. And like, like you probably know of other examples of, you know, that uh, if you've seen the Charlie Chaplin film where the woman seems to be talking on a cell phone. Yeah. Um, we were just talking about that the other day. Or like um, Enoch Soames is this whole story of this guy who sold his soul to the devil so he could travel in time to the future to see how famous he would be. And he actually showed up. He was supposed to travel to the year 1997. And he actually showed up. Like people came to the museum that he was supposed to show up at. It's like this library at this museum. But, um, well, a guy yeah. showed up. They didn't know. A guy showed him, up, yeah, but it was, yeah. I mean, it was him. So yeah, right, you know, yeah, it was yeah, like, right. it looked so much like him and he did what he said he was going to do. And like, it's pretty crazy stuff. I think I'm going to make an extra episode though on for our Patreon where I will get into that story. And I, I was thinking John Titter was a different guy. This guy, Andrew Basaggio, who claims that he was a child who was part of uh, his father worked at someplace like Honeywell or for like the government. And his father was developing a time machine and his father used him as like a guinea pig. And basically he has a, photograph of proof that he was at the Gettysburg address what oh my god it's right here if you want to see that's (laughs) oh I do know this one I I forgot about the backstory though yeah that's crazy I'm gonna put the picture on our Instagram yeah but and you should give me those other pictures too to put on the Instagram but I also want to like talk a little bit also about Edgar Allan Poe apparently the time traveler as well because he predicted many things to happen in the future um, oh i didn't know that wow so i'll get into that on another episode we'll do an extra episode i want i want to hear uh, we should take a break and yes. then i want to hear about life after death yes yeah that's awesome, <laughs> i didn't know anything about mr titter that's just so interesting yeah, it, it. it was weird because I, I really don't remember how I ran into it because this was, yeah, pre-Reddit, you know, all that, like, yeah. Yahoo was the search engine, not even Google. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, okay, it was so weird, but, yeah, I had a lot of pass. friends that were into it. I should, I'm should i going to get a shirt. I should totally get a shirt. No, that's awesome. Yeah, sure. Really cool. Very cool. Um, Can I just tell you what drinks I have in front of me right now because it's pretty ridiculous? <laughs> I have an... Empty can of coffee, Nest Cafe coffee that I drank earlier, an empty cup of water that I drank, a full cup of water, a Bud Light lime, and a shot of NyQuil so I can go to sleep after this, but I'm not going to drink that till the end. <laughs> that's that is what is in front of me right now. She's going to wait until the bartender comes by to light it on fire first. <laughs> <laughs> that's a buffet of beverages. I mean, to I only, be fair, two of them are water. Or, oh, or. Okay. Oh, I only have <laughs> two in comparison. I have this Jack and Coke leftover from the Coke that I was drinking from dinner. Fast food is bad, but I had some. And then um, <laughs> this is an IPA in a fun uh, Muertos sugar spell glass that my sister-in-law gave me. 
that last okay. detail. I don't know. It's not, but I just, I like these glasses a lot. So <laughs> that's awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. What do you got? What do you got, Pat? Oh. What are you drinking? Are you just smoking weed and coughing? Bud Light Lime. Oh, from okay. Kai, our biggest fan. Thank you, Kai. Oh. For uh, the Bud Light Lime. Yay. She was at her house <laughs> and she bought a whole case of Bud Light Lime and probably drank one of them. And, <laughs> and I drank like six today, so. <laughs> and, the, and the weed I got from Chelsea. Chelsea, I think, also listens. Oh. You're all st stocked up over there. <laughs> we are ready. <laughs> oh. All right. So shall I just segue in or? Let's do it. Jump, jump okay. on in. Yes. The water is perfect. All right. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, the water is perfect. What about that one? Ooh. Well, it's going to be a dead calm. Is that a, that's a sea term, isn't it? That's a sea term. <laughs> trying to make a connection there. Well, <laughs> we're going to jump into some very, very dead calm waters. Well, they're not very calm, but um, okay. So yes, Patrick, you're talking about time travel. And this is a little more final than time travel. It's uh death but there's a possibility that it's not death how could it be both you ask well i don't know if you've ever pondered before these kinds of questions this one actually um is specifically surrounding the question of can a device in our day-to-day -day life be considered a a conduit, I guess, or a medium for being able to connect with, connect us with the afterlife, those of us who are living. So that's the real question. And the device that I'm talking about is the telephone. So now we have, you know, smartphones and all kinds of, our phones can do all kinds of things, but these kinds of phenomena that I'm about to talk about were occurring even through regular, through those of us who remember out there, the good old handheld device, the regular telephone that used to be connected to the wall or, you know, to your kitchen counter or whatever. And you had to actually pick up the receiver and talk on it. It was such a long time ago that... <laughs> It's crazy. Now, by it's comparison crazy. now that, you know, only a, only some of us remember. And I won't say what age, you know, that you should be over if you remember this. I won't. I remember I won't these. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I remember my conference calls. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I said, did, did you ever do conference calls where you'd like pick up the phone, click the th like the, I don't even know what the thing is called anymore. Like <laughs> the, the hang up thing. Oh, yeah. The, the dial. No. Well, no. no. The dial. I don't no. know what yeah. you call it. Yeah. I guess, what was no, it called? The dial's the thing that you right. yeah. dial yeah. up with the called? buttons yeah. or you spin the thingy. Um, I know, you're right. Rotary, the hang up thingy. Uh, yeah, what the fuck was that called, though? It had a name, right? Damn. Well, know. if it was Receiver? like. Receiver? 
Yeah, a receiver, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, click the receiver. I don't know. Like, if you had one of these phones that I used to have for a long time, I don't even know what kind of phone you call it anymore, but it just, like, all clicks into one thing. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what kind of phone that was, though. So. Oh, yeah. my God. I can't even talk about this yeah, now anymore. A, <laughs> I remember we had uh, at my house in Boston when I was, like, really, really young. Like, one of my earliest memories was, like, that my – my parents bought a fucking long, long ass cord because oh, yeah. my family wanted to be like in their own rooms, you know, when they talked on it. So mm-hmm. like yeah. it was constantly like a cord going through like three rooms, you know, yeah. like, oh, yeah. it's, oh, it's <laughs> Owen's in Chris's room. I guess he's on the phone, you know. Yeah. That shit you know was what? ridiculous, man. My phone, though, was it was so old it didn't do conference calls because like some phones you'd have like the... If you bought like a phone that was supposed to be in an office, it would have a button to do the conference call. Right. You know, right. or go to speakerphone yeah. or like you could have multiple lines coming in. But my mom taught me, she's just, she said, you pick up the phone, you call your friend, and then you click it and it'll go bum, bum, bum. And then, <laughs> and then it'll dial tone, but you call the next friend you want to call. And then you, when they, right as they pick up, you, Click it uh, down and hang up on them and pick it back up, and both of your friends will be on the phone. Okay, right. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah, know yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. We, it does. We, that was the way you we did three way calls. Three way calling, but you could do it like up to like eight people, which is oh. what I would do. Yeah. Oh. I would just keep doing it and adding and adding, but I had to be the one who did it because none of my other friends knew how to do that. Oh, that's, but, that's crazy. That's but awesome. this was before like text or mass text or mass. Oh yeah. Mass, uh, um, like Facebook messaging or anything like that. So like this all is right. how we all met up at the movies instead of me making multiple calls, you know? Oh, wow. Usually that's I only so- did it like with three or four people, but I do remember doing it, having like a few people on the phone. Okay. But I don't know. I thought that that was such a <laughs> fucking cool thing that my mom taught me. It was so important to me at the time because that's how we were social. And no yeah. one else in my group of friends knew how to do that. Yeah. So, I don't know. No. That was pretty cool. <laughs> that, that is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Fine. I did the three-way calling, but yeah, usually only with three. I think it was a maximum three because I had three really good girlfriends in you know middle school and high school, so that that worked, I guess. Yeah, that's I was about to limit. say I didn't have like a fourth phone number to dial. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of friends, but we weren't like close friends. We all like yeah. Yeah. No judgments. No. 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 That's. No, yeah. that's cool. Like, but honestly, like, yeah, like, my, also, like, my family was, like, very much, like, anti-technology, like, growing Oh, up. yes. Like, it was very yeah. much, like, they, we weren't about, like, video game systems or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't have video games or any of that either growing up, but <laughs> it was just a phone. It was that's a phone. True. That's Like, true. did you not have a phone? Like, no, what, no it was a long... Like, no, it was I don't a, understand. No, it was a long time before we got, like, a portable phone. Like, we were very... Like, they were very much against getting cell phones, you know? Oh, so yeah. I always had, like, the bottom of the line, you know, just in case of emergency type of a phone. Oh, know, the phone I was that, using had a But tape. that was also... I was also cell phones didn't really come out till like using till like I was in college anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Same here. 
yeah, about the cell phone. Yeah, but but I, yes. I didn't really have to deal with it too much, but no. I had my own just a quick anecdote before hmm. I'm sorry if I got us yeah, too, yeah, far, yeah. too far away, but yeah, I used to have I was privileged enough, thank God, for a while to have my own phone line, which, you know, that's awesome that my parents mm. well it was me and my brother. But did my brother really talk on the phone that much? <laughs> Probably not at that age anyway. So but anyway, <laughs> I, we had the line so that, you know, because I talked on the phone a lot and I wanted to. So anyway, whenever I would get punished, I would get my phone taken away from me. But I usually always knew where they hid it. I took it back the one time, I remember. But That's hilarious. That wasn't oh good God. either because then I got in trouble twice. So, <laughs> But they knew that that was the most important thing they could take away was communication to the friends so anyway i could still talk on the phone but then it had to be on the family line so that's where the long cord comes in like you were talking about i didn't take it into another room but in the kitchen there's a a countertop with a little alcove where like we put the garbage cans and stuff well i would just clear out the garbage cans and i would just sit under there with the (laughs) (laughs) like to have some privacy that's hilarious (laughs) where are you i'm in the kitchen under the (laughs) counter talking on the phone right now (laughs) that was a privacy that's so funny yes (laughs) but to take it back to our what i'm actually talking about uh (laughs) uh is more interesting than you know my secretive calls under the kitchen counter but this is (laughs) about phone calls from the dead from the dead you ask yes (laughs) perhaps we're not sure uh it's can't really be proven or disproven but um Mm. that is actually the title phone calls from the dead is the actual title of a book that was the start of this topic and it was written in 1979 uh by a man named d scott rogo i hope i'm pronouncing his last name right rogo and raymond bayless and they collaborated together on the book um so the book itself is really interesting it started out um as kind of a topic that both of of them were interested in. They were both into into the paranormal, obviously, and they considered themselves uh, both in their own right to be um, these kind of, well, I don't know if you would use amateur, but I've seen it somewhere, you know, different places in the research I was doing. They're referred to sometimes as amateur or above uh, parapsychologists. So I guess, you know, well, you can make up your own mind <laughs> if you do more more research into it than I do. But um, uh, essentially, th- they were really interested in this topic. And I will start out by um, describing kind of what led them into this topic and why they were so interested in it. So they both were 
contributors to this magazine called Fate, F-A-T-E, Fate Magazine. And in October of 1977, there was an issue of Fate Magazine. And they, um, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. That was in um, September of 1976 that they read this report in Fate Magazine. And that was a report from a man named Don B. Owens of Toledo, Ohio. So the story goes from the report that, oh, wait, can you guys hear me okay? Okay, there was just some weird interference I heard, okay. So it might be our air conditioner. Oh, okay. Well, that's all right, no worries. (laughs) I was just making sure it wasn't on my end something. So Don B. Owens of Toledo, Ohio, he had a close friend named Lee Epps, and they had lived in the same neighborhood together for years. Lee moved away, and then the contact between the two became limited to just occasional meetings and limited phone calls. But on October 26, 1968, at exactly 10.30 p.m., Ethel, who was Don's wife, answered the phone. Phone was ringing. And she answered the phone and she recognized Lee's voice. And Lee's voice said, quote, Sis, tell Don I'm feeling real bad. Never felt this way before. Tell him to get in touch with me the minute he comes in. It's important, sis. And so after that call, Ethel tried to call him back, but there was no answer. And then when Don came home, he tried to call him back as well. But again, he got the same thing, no answer. Then, shortly after that, Don learned that Lee was in a coma at the hospital. And that was six blocks away from their home. And he died at exactly 10.30 p.m. So Lee couldn't possibly have made the call in his condition, but Ethel swears it was Lee's voice. So that case was purely anecdotal. It was just, you know, what the details they told of the story and the report in the magazine and nothing else. So in other words, there was no real evidence to back that up to support any of the claims. But Raymond Bayless and D. Scott Rogo were so interested by this idea of these, this phantom phone call that they decided to follow it up with their own investigation. And so their investigation would lead to the book that they wrote together, which was Phone Calls from the Dead. And that book is the culmination of two years of research that they did. So you could call it a project or an investigation, probably better, um, into the phantom phone call mystery. Were these really happening or was this just something else entirely? Was this maybe a new form of psychic communication? That's kind of what the ideas that they wanted to explore in their book. So um, in that book, 
they actually um they basically formed a ton of case studies that they they formed the book on and it was 50 cases of what they call ATC or anomalous telephone contacts so it was 50 cases of this these anomalous telephone contacts and this phenomena the calls that appear to come from the deceased essentially or the dead mm -hmm. so that that's what it's commonly referred to and i had never even heard of that before but um if you look into it there there's a lot of talk and atc is thrown around a lot <laughs> so it's good to know what it stands for anomalous telephone contacts um so that's what the their book was going to be based on um so the book is very hard to get a hold of nowadays from what i hear it's out of print and this was like i said this was in 1979 that it was first published and now both of the authors are deceased themselves so um a lot of i mostly read a lot of book reviews because the book is so hard to get a hold of and people mention that a lot they say yeah this is a really hard book to get a hold of i'll swap or i'll you know trade for something um that's how badly they want to be able to read it um and the people that that have read it said that um if you are interested in this kind of thing that they they definitely recommend reading it um so yeah it's it's, it's one of those interesting things i'm like how can you not get a hold of the book anymore but you know it kind of makes sense i guess if it was a while ago and it's it's kind of a niche type of thing um but there is more now that that you can look into it and i'll talk about that in a second um but yes for the original book they went over these case studies and they um determined that there are three different types of calls that they would consider to be um, these anomalous telephone contacts. So they group them into three categories and they're not in any kind of specific order or anything like that. It's just, um, these are the three types. So the first type is called apparent cases and that would describe um, getting a call from somebody who had recently passed on or maybe had been dead for years and you just get a call from this person out of the blue um number the second call number two would be um the answer cases and those would be uh described as the receiving kind so you call a house and somebody who's alive in other realities or dimension answers the phone so that's the second kind and then the third kind is the intention case and that would be a conversation that you have with a person who's alive to another person who's alive but one party later on denies either making or receiving such phone calls so these are the people who intended to call but never did 
yet it seems the call was still psychically made somehow. So in other words, all of these calls are happening and there's no real explanation for it, right? But these are the ways that they thought it was based on all the case studies that they looked at. They said to them, this was the way that the three, um, the three types of calls would line up. So I don't know if that makes sense. I hope it does. <laughs> a little bit, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. I mean, okay. it's, it's, it's crazy. I'm, I'm very much interested in school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let's see what else. Um, so with their book, because I said it was, you know, essentially a, a research project or an investigation, they, they came to the conclusion in their book that these phantom calls did actually occur and they may be more common than previously thought because they received, you know, account after account. Like I said, in their book, they have 50 cases alone. Um, and you know, I'm not going to go through each one. I have one in a, in a moment that I'll share with you. That's not actually from their case, but, um, I thought it was really interesting, but yes, if, if anyone out there is interested and you do manage to get a hold of the book or a copy of it somehow, I'm sure that it would be very compelling reading because all of these cases, all of the reviews that I read, like I said, for the people who enjoyed the book and thought it was, um, thought it was helpful or thought it was interesting. They said that, um, just reading the case stories alone was chilling to them and like they couldn't sleep and stuff like that. Mm. And I did find too, that <laughs> when I was reading through, um, like I said, not, not through their book, but through some other case studies, if you read about any kind of phantom calls after a while, depending on the story, yes, they're, they're pretty spooky and they could definitely leave you with the feeling of, yeah, what kind of happened there. So it's pretty interesting in that sense. Um, so they were also speculating, but, you know, couldn't prove anything that this could either be um, part of EVP, you know, the electric voice phenomena, or, you know, somehow it could be that on its own, or it could be contributing to it in some kind of way, essentially. Um, so, you know, that's interesting too. They really explored the issue of um, how, how are, if, if spirits are able to communicate to us, are they using the telephone to communicate to, through, I can't speak anymore. <laughs> are they using the telephone to speak to us through as like an instrument? Um, so that that part really wasn't determined yet. Um, and again, how can you really determine it? It's not really yeah. <laughs> provable, you yeah. know? So it's just kind of one of those things where, um, and I'll get into this in a moment, but just to kind of briefly touch on it, that's kind of why, you know, I wouldn't say frowned upon, but it's, it's hard sometimes for people to want to believe skeptic who are extremely skeptical to want to believe in 
that something like this could occur, you know, that a phone call could be placed from a loved one from beyond the grave, you know, so it's kind of, I guess it goes along with, with the whole thing, you know, are you going to believe in it or not? And maybe the only way you can believe in it is if you have that experience yourself. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm willing fully to believe it, (laughs) but not without, you know, a little skepticism, but excuse me. I've certainly read even before doing any of this research, I've read and I've heard as I'm sure you guys have about, you know, different occurrences of strange things happening with phones and people receiving calls when, you know, all these kinds of circumstances. So, um, yeah, I don't know that that part is, is a big question mark, but, um, the, there is a person today, if you want to look, um, more into this person, if you're interested in this, um, this man kind of picked up where the other two left off. His name is Callum or Cal E. Cooper, and he's a British parapsychologist. Um, and he did a follow-up study, and he actually wrote a book as well, and he called his book, not straying too far from the original title, Telephone Calls from the Dead. Mm. And that was in 2012, so pretty recent. Um, so I didn't actually um, get a chance to look over his book in depth, but I did find out that um, the three types of calls that I just described to you guys, um, he actually broke it down. I think it was five or maybe even six, at least five, though. He broke it down into five different types of, of calls that could happen. So he kind of put it even, he subcategorized it even further. Um, So I thought that was really interesting too, because, you know, um, I don't know. It's just interesting that he took it even further and and went, went to it, went into it even more. Um, So let's see. Um, Where do I want to go next? Sorry, trying to figure out my notes here. Um, (laughs) Now, okay, so in popular culture or in this kind of culture, um, you've heard of the Mothman prophecies, right? Out of um, uh, West Virginia, right? Um, So during the time of the Mothman prophecies, when that was happening, a man named John Keel was one of the investigators that was actively um, looking into not only the Mothman prophecies, but also um, some active UFO investigations at the time. Well, the phone in his office, because he was constantly doing this, he said that the phone in his office was constantly plagued by phantom phone calls. And he had no idea, you know, why they were happening. Um, so they could have been tied to his investigations. It's not very clear. Um, but, you know, he mainly didn't get anything out of the phantom calls except for 
a whole lot of static, <laughs> which, you know, it's one of the, um, the common things that happens if you weren't aware, um, in anomalous telephone contacts, um, sometimes there's absolutely no speech at all when someone calls. Uh, sometimes it's just silence. Sometimes it's static or sometimes it could be appear to be a person's voice that, you know, but it might sound either robotic or maybe like kind of slurred or drunk, you know, something like that. Um, not mm -hmm. very, not very clear to place. So those are the most common types of ways that the call could sound. Um, but this, uh, I think one of the most compelling uh, pieces of information that I wanted to share with you, um, it's not from the book, but it is kind of in the same vein of, you know, everything that I'm talking about. Um, and that was um, the death of a man named Charles E. Peck. And if you've heard about him at all before, this was, you know, fair, I mean, not recent, I guess, anymore. I'm looking at the date. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's not that recent, but more in more recent history than 1979, um, this was a Metrolink death in 2008 and it was known as the Chatsworth train crash. So it's still to this day, one of the worst train crashes in history in California. Um, so Charles E. Peck was on this commuter Metrolink and he was instantly killed in a crash. Um, it was the the driver of the commuter train did not stop at a red light he was supposed to stop at, and he ran into a freight train. And so, you know, Charles, along with 25 other people, were killed, and there's about 135 people injured. So it was a pretty, pretty bad crash. But the weird thing about Charles Peck specifically was that his family members throughout the night were receiving calls from his phone. And altogether, they received about 35 calls. Like he called kind of everyone in his family, basically. And um, this was following, you know, the disaster. So no one knew that he died at this point but they were receiving these calls from him, but they were all staticky. There was no voice on the other end of the line. It was just static, but he literally, it was almost like the phone went through, you know, all your main contacts and then just started calling a bunch of other people. Um, so it's very strange, obviously. And um, the police, they tried to use his his cell phone to trace, you know, his location of where he was because um, in the disaster, you know, it was hard to find people. And so they traced his phone. They were able to locate his body, but the police never revealed if his phone was ever found. Um, so basically 
to the to to the rest of us, his phone was never found. It was never recovered. So we've never no one has ever received any answers on on what really happened and why his phone was making so many calls to all these family members. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's just, that's a, that's a more recent example of kind of, you know, the, the kind of phenomena that can occur. And it sounds like something, you know, right out of a movie, but you know, it's, it was a real occurrence. Um, so I don't know. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, and then there was the question of, can this kind of paranormal, can this kind of paranormal contact come through email and social media too? People have even started claiming that this kind of thing is happening to them through these kind of media as well. Like mm-hmm. somebody will email them. Uh, they'll email them back and, you know, never get any response. And this person, you know, is not with them anymore. Um, Same thing for social media. They post something to somebody's account and, you know, that's, that's, they're never heard from again. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Now, has, has this kind of communication moved beyond the telephone or the cell phone? I don't know. It's an interesting theory. Um, A little bit about the two authors. Um, So D, the D in Scott Rogo stands for Douglas. So Douglas Scott Rogo, uh, you know, was the writer, journalist, researcher of parapsychology. He was also a musician. Um, but unfortunately, after he wrote this book in 1979, he wouldn't live too much longer. He actually died August 18th, 1990 here in, uh, LA. Well, for me anyway, LA area. Um, and he was only 40 years old. He was mysteriously murdered in his own home. He was found stabbed. To death. But the weird thing is there was no struggle. Um, there were some personal items gone and his wallet had been emptied. But other than that, they had no other details on <clears throat> what might have happened to him. They did actually wind up arresting a man and charging him with the crime. But then um, several years later, there was actually a mistrial. It was all thrown out. So um, his killer is still unknown. And the details of the case are still unknown. Why anyone would want to kill him, especially so young at his life. Um, So the case is still open. It's a cold case. Um, But then as to his professional opinion, D. Scott Rogo, the consensus is split within the parapsychology community as to his um, credulity or his believability as an authority or as a researcher. Some believe that um, he really knew what he was talking about and gave him really high praise because 
everything that I found out, he was kind of, um, D. Scott Rogo was kind of the driving force, I think, more so than Raymond Bayless was behind the actual authoring of, of this book. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's, it's, he's, it's kind of like 50, 50 in his community, whether he's respected or not. So that in Mm -hmm. itself is interesting too. (laughs) And of course the people that say that, um, he's not very believable. I, I, it's kind of heavy on opinions. I don't know. It's really hard to say. How can you say? I, I don't know. I'm not in that field, so <laughs> I don't know. But I just found that interesting that that he was kind of polarizing in that way, it seemed to me. Um, but he also wrote um, some other books um, that I wanted to share with you because um, this last title I especially like. But <laughs> so he wrote um, some books called The Haunted Universe, Leaving the Body. A Complete Guide to Astral Projection. So kind of what you were talking about, Patrick, or you touched upon a little bit. And that book has actually, so where, um, I'm sorry, now I have to look at it again. So where Phone Calls from the Dead, the original title, where that one's out of print, they actually put Leaving the Body, A Complete Guide to Astral Projection back into print in 2008 because it was so popular. So... Uh, you might be able to find that one more easily if you're interested in astral projection. <laughs> but um, the third title that, uh, I mean, and he wrote more books than this, but these were just a few I picked out. This last one I love, though. ESP and your pet. Discover <laughs> your pet's hidden psychic powers. Awesome. So I'm into that one. Yeah. yeah maybe let's, let's I can find it. a way to get my hands on a copy of that. So yeah. I feel like I'm gonna <laughs> we be had this lady bring her dog to uh to our job who was a psychic. Oh yeah. Um, and uh yeah, she was show, like holding the dog up to the various artifacts and things. Um <laughs> and claimed that her dog was a psychic. Yeah. She wasn't on on my tour. I think she was on someone else's, but yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, I love mean, it. I don't, I can't speak for the dog's experience. No. <laughs> of course not. I mean, how could you? But <laughs> it's a, it's a fun um, idea to kick around at least, if nothing else. Yeah. But Yeah. Um, I want to look into that one. <laughs> I'm interested in that. Um, so that was Douglas Scott Rogo. But the other author was Raymond Bayless. Mm-hmm. And I found out because I didn't, you know, I didn't really know about either of these men. So I found this extremely interesting. But Raymond Bayless, he um, was more of an artist. He was an author as well. Um, and he did write some books of his own, um, but he was more well-known in his life as an artist. Now, unlike his uh, co-author, D. Scott Rogo, Raymond Bayless actually lived to a much older age. He lived till he was 84. So he actually passed away in 
uh, May 25th, 2004. It was still in the Los Angeles area, though. So those two were in, you know, well, kind of insane, kind of in the same area. Um, but he wrote a book uh, in 1967. So before he even, you know, knew D. Scott Rogo, but he wrote a book called The Enigma of the Poltergeist. And then after D. Scott, oh no, this wasn't after, but um, then he wrote a book after he did uh, calls, phone calls from the dead. He wrote his own book called The Case for Life After Death. And that was in 1981 with Elizabeth McAdams. Um, the cool thing about Raymond Bayless is that he was the first to report reception of whispers, voices, and raps received in silence on tape. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. He reported his first long series of um, experiments with Attila, and I'm going to mess this name up, sorry, Attila von Slay. S-Z-A-L-A-Y. My apologies. Um, (laughs) He did these experiments with him, though, in L.A. um, And then he actually wrote about it in the Journal of the Journal of the American Society for Psychical Research in January of 1959. So, yeah, that was well before, that was about 20 years before, you know, he would write this book with um, D. Scott Rogo. So he was definitely into it, for sure. Um, But he was, like I said, more known for being an artist later in his life. Um, He was known as a landscape artist. And his works were so incredible that they actually hang currently in the National Air and Space Museum and also in the departments of the Air Force and Navy, the State Department, the Pentagon, and collections throughout the world. So um, so that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, and <laughs> if, you, if you just look him up, um, He's pretty popular as well, apart from all the paranormal stuff. Um, He's popular for his science fiction fantasy paintings, including a lot of stuff with, um, you know, like H.P. Lovecraft type stuff with the Call of Cthulhu. And um, he was definitely into doing all of that stuff. So um, if you're interested in, in... knowing more about him, you know, look up his paintings. Um, But yeah, I think that's pretty much um, most of what I found out. Oh, I took um, a lot of my information from a website called the Center for Paranormal Research and Investigation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if you've seen it before, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I feel like I've been to that website. Yeah, yeah probably. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Good one, yeah. It was very helpful, even though the blog that I was reading, um, 
it was somebody who I guess they put it like a footnote on it. They said, oh, that person's not with us anymore, but like, and I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> keep, <laughs> keep sending us information at this address. Mm. If you, you know, have more, more information on that, um, about phantom calls or, um, anon anomalous, I'm going to say it right. Anomalous telephone calls. Um, so yeah, but that, and also, um, ranker.com had a lot of information, Wikipedia, of course, but I took a lot of the information too from the book reviews um, because like I said, it was kind of hard to find a lot of solid um, internet stuff on the phone calls from the dead. So I thought that was interesting too. I was like, wow, there's not like, I mean, there is a lot out there, but like I said, if it was mostly a lot of like book reviews and then just like general information on you know what kind of phantom calls from the dead might might be like so yeah um the book is as elusive as the subject is so <laughs> i don't know if you're interested yeah try to get your hands on a copy of the it would at least be at the library i think yeah there's yeah. two copies available on Amazon right now. Oh, okay. The hardcover is $749. I saw that. <laughs> and the paperback is $249. You see? For the paperback. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely in, in high demand for those in the know. So, yeah, if you're able to look at it, definitely look at it and consider yourself lucky because mm -hmm. I would love to, but I'm, I don't have money to spend on that. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, geez. yeah. Check your library. Remember yeah. folks, the library, it's still out there. Yeah. You can still go. Um, <laughs> but we would have money to spend on it. If you subscribe to our Patreon, oh. send us your money, subscribe to mm -hmm. Patreon. I will be yes. putting, exclusive content on there yeah so like, like yeah. discussing all what's in that book like reading the book out loud no, I'm <laughs> no, what do you guys think about the phantom calls though have you ever encountered like through yourself or anyone you well, know I, mean, I remember like when i was younger getting phone calls and from you know but you always just assume oh it was like a wrong call or you know but sometimes they were weird you know sometimes you'd hear shit there, like, oh, that was weird yeah right yeah but, um, or like or like the whole like white noise thing you know but i, yeah. I understand why it's not available on the internet now is because like you know phone calls like that don't happen as often because landlines mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. i think you get more mm -hmm. phone calls on the landline they do on a cell phone maybe that's, that's true good point I don't, know, I don't know if that's accurate necessarily but no that makes sense though i didn't think about so, that so it's probably just hasn't happening as often you know maybe. right but also well, like do you remember like back when the phones like nowadays with your cell phone like you have the option to easily not answer it you know and it not be a big deal you know yes. but back back in the day when the phone rang like in my family like if you didn't answer the phone like my one of my parents would just get pissed you know, so every phone, every phone call was answered and that was back when there was no caller ID too. So yes. it could be yeah. an important phone call. So you better answer it, you know, 
So that means true. that all these telemarketers knew that you're going to answer the phone. So we're so there's a lot more advertising. I feel like back yeah. then. True. Good point. Nowadays, it's just scammers. That's true. You're you're cutting out, Leslie. Oh, I was just saying. Oh, that there you go. Landlines aren't exactly tied necessarily just to the number, like right. as a spirit. And I'm just like, you know, I don't know what a ghost thinks, but yeah, I would assume that you could also just know where the person lives or have an attachment to like their home or your own home. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so, sense, yeah. yeah, but I've had several dreams where I'm talking on the phone. That used to be a big issue is having dreams where I would talk on the phone and at some point I would realize that it was a dream because I couldn't like communicate properly and then I would wake up with my hand to my face like I was talking. Oh, how strange. That's so crazy. I've never had a dream like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, at least 10 times that has happened. So. You know, and that's probably just anxiety, you know, because I don't like phone calls. I don't like talking on the phone oh, at okay. all. I don't know if yeah. you've noticed. I almost never communicate that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like Patrick said, who who does now nowadays? I mean, yeah, like, you know, uh, some of us do. I still like to talk from time to time, but I understand, too, at the same time that other people would prefer not to. So, you know. Like they prefer yeah. like in in person communication or whatnot, you know, but but yeah. Now I was just curious if you guys ever. I I never have personally experienced anything like a phantom call. I don't think anyway, but I've certainly like it piques my interest a lot because I do believe it's possible, and I absolutely believe it's possible. I, you know. I mean, whether it's a landline or a cell phone, I mean, look at Charles Peck, you know, he had a cell phone and that was mm-hmm. transmitting messages. And even I think, was it last year or the year before with the the uh, condos in Florida that collapsed or what was yeah. that? Apartment buildings or something. Right. Yeah. And then like there was um, a couple's phone that kept like calling and leaving oh, yeah. and you know transmitting messages or whatever oh, and that, so that instantly that. was my first go-to i was just like <laughs> i remember i was telling josh i was like yeah i think you know those could be some phantom phone calls and you know mm-hmm. he didn't necessarily agree with me but you know <laughs> <laughs> but that's what i i i believe and i'm still well, holding on to that so i don't know yeah, was... I think any I think any electronic receptor, you know, anything that transfers energy into something else, you know, like I think you know it could be used, like if you're if yeah. you're yeah. regarding paranormal and stuff. So you know, I think so too. I mean, what is what is? Uh, yeah, exactly. I I agree with you because what is the the telephone or cell phone or whatever kind of messaging device other than you know, like a conduit for this type of thing. You could almost say it's like a Ouija board in a way, even though not really, but you know what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say, right? No, yeah, no, yeah, totally, you can communicate yeah. through that. So 
I think that, you know, personally, if our loved ones or it could be not loved ones want to communicate with us, Mm -hmm. they'll find a way to, you know, that's, that's just me, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know who's to say it's very interesting. So yeah, I, I enjoyed, um, looking this up because I just thought it was like incredibly fascinating and creepy. And I don't know, you can't describe that stuff to me. I'm not, I'm not skeptical in that way. So anyway, sorry, I'm running on Mm. and on, but (laughs) I would love for like, if any of our listeners would send us any accounts they might've had of phantom phone calls or anything similar. Yes. Um, recordings of this do we have an email ad- ad- address of for this podcast do we um, <laughs> i don't know i thought my weird little podcast at gmail.com isn't it do we uh, i don't know well, email us through our other podcast which is hollywood's haunted the uh, podcast hollywood's yeah. haunted at gmail.com not the podcast yeah, hollywood's yeah. haunted at gmail.com you can send us uh or through instagram which is my weird little podcast has the our instagram or through facebook you could message us yeah um you know you can find my facebook and try to message me for those who are actually friends of mine listening to this um (laughs) you know uh but But i'd love to hear all about that if anyone has a story that would be great. Um, and, yeah. and I'll definitely read them out loud if if allowed. Uh <laughs> you know, if allowed. Yeah. On here. That would be awesome. If yeah. anyone's willing, you know, don't be shy. Or you can be anonymous <laughs> if you want, even. You know? Exactly. Especially yeah. if you have like recordings of anything, like, oh yeah, definitely send it. That would be cool. Yeah. Be well, <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, it's a great episode. Yeah. yeah really yeah, interesting stuff that here. Super awesome. That was fun. Yeah. It was fun. I like it. So thanks everyone for listening. Hope you all enjoyed it. Hope you all found it as fascinating as we did. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends. Uh, please share these episodes with your friends. We definitely need all the listeners we can get at this point and um, you know, we appreciate you uh, so much and, you know, discuss amongst your friends, like uh, about all of this stuff, about time travel, like, and then let us know, you know, your opinions and your stories and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, you can uh, follow us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, we're having that soon, if not already, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, also like our other podcast, Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast where we talk more about, you know, old timey celebrities from Tinseltown and haunted places. Yeah. And weird stuff as well. Yeah. You know, so uh, also follow my TikTok. I post about the new episodes on TikTok and some random shenanigans, which I hope you all enjoy. So, uh, <laughs> some good shenanigans. Who doesn't yeah. love some random shenanigans? Yeah. <laughs> the occasional ghost hunt. Uh, yeah. And such. Right. So, and Patreon uh, coming but soon. Yeah. 
<laughs> What's that? Did you say Patreon coming soon? Patreon. Please. Uh, Patreon is up. Get pins. Get shirts. Uh, get all of that stuff. Please. Uh, there is going to be more content, too. Secret content just for the Patreons uh, that I will be putting up pretty soon here. It'll be up in a couple weeks. Yeah. You know, if not already up by the time this episode airs, probably it's still in a couple weeks. Honestly, <laughs> uh, I've got that. I've got that sl- procrastination, like that depression procrastination that happens okay. a lot, you know, where I'll do it, but I have so much anxiety over doing it. And then I hate myself and then I don't do it. What? So we got this. We'll do it. Yeah, we'll do it. We got this. All right. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, less about my depression life. Um, and uh, yeah, stay weird, everyone. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs>